Greetings, friends. Last week, I ended a series of messages called Lessons in Character, and at the beginning of the message, I talked about the underdog stories that we so often love, and you know how the underdog isn't expected to do well, but uh, ends up overachieving and doing some remarkable things, often becoming the hero of the story, and, and in my own life, I've often felt like an underdog. I have struggled uh, with feelings of inadequacy, even as, as a pastor, uh, and sometimes that's caused me to become afraid of, of failure, uh, to become afraid of rejection, uh, especially to become afraid of humiliating myself. But the Lord, by His grace, has helped me to overcome those feelings of inadequacy. And as the Bible says, my adequacy comes from God Himself. And so some of you watching this today, you might feel like you're an underdog, that you're an underdog, or you might feel that uh, you feel inadequate in your life, that you're not enough, or perhaps that you don't matter. Well, I have good news for you, and that is that even if you don't matter to people, you matter to God, and there is a God, and He loves you, and He wants to use you. And the remarkable thing about God is that He can take a little, and he can do a lot with it. And that's what he specializes in, is doing a lot with a little. So for you watching this today, if you suffer with feelings of inadequacy or you feel like an underdog, um, I want you to just come before God today uh, just as you are. Uh, You don't have to figure all this out on your own. Just come before God as you are. Come before Him spiritually and morally broken, if you want, morally and spiritually bankrupt, because God loves you just as you are, and He wants you to become something more than what you are by His grace. So if you don't remember anything else from this message today, I hope you'll remember this, that no matter how inadequate you might feel, God will use you, and He'll make much of your life if you'll let Him, because God loves the underdog, and you matter to Him. Now, there's two words that are often repeated in the Bible that um, make all the difference in the world. There's two words that can take a hopeless situation or an insignificant life and transform that into something extraordinary. And so today I selected a passage of Scripture that I referred to last Sunday, and I want us to look at it a bit more closely today. Dr. David Falk actually read that Scripture earlier in the Living Bible translation. And so let me just read a, a portion of the Scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. And this is what it says. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Uh, Not many were influential or of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And this passage has two words in it. It's saying that 
In the eyes of the world, you might have been foolish. In the eyes of the world, you were weak. You were nothing. But God chose those weak things. He chose the foolish things. He chose the things that are not to nullify the things that are. But God, those are the two words. And we find this all throughout Scripture. Uh, There is the human situation that we find ourselves in that often looks hopeless. But God makes all the difference in the world. And so Paul uses a term in here, and it's found in verse 27, I think. I'm just going to take a look at this here. Uh, There's a term that he uses in verse 27, that God chose uh, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. That phrase, the things that are not, is a very uh, interesting word in the original Greek language. Um, And what it really means is that God chooses things that the world would consider as non-existent, as uh, that, that don't matter at all. Uh, he chooses um, things that we would consider as of little account. Uh, he chooses people who are of little account, people that we might look at and say, well, you know, they're just a waste of space or a waste of skin. But in God's church, everyone matters. And that's why we should never despise people that the world thinks are of little account. You see, it's the heart of God to look out for the underprivileged, to look out for the disenfranchised, for the marginalized, uh, for the poor and the broken. Uh, Jesus himself, think about his birth. He was born to Mary and Joseph, an insignificant family, uh, in a stable. And he seemed, his birth seemed to the world as of little account compared to what was going on in the world. And then the first people to show up at the stable where he was born were shepherds, and that was a despised occupation. And the first people that Jesus called when he became a man and started his ministry were fishermen, working-class, blue-collar fishermen. And then there's the the despised tax collector, Zacchaeus. Uh, Being a tax collector was a despised profession, and he chooses this man to come and follow him. And so, no matter how inadequate or how despised that you might feel, God will use you if you will let Him, because God loves to use underdogs. He loves that. And so, the question would be, why does God choose that which the world thinks is foolish or weak or of little account? And the answer is found in verse 31 in this passage. And so, let me just read the last little bit of this, beginning at verse 27. It says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong, the lowly things of this world, and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. That's the point of this, is God chooses things that are of little account, people that are of little account, so that at the end of the day, people will know that whatever was accomplished was done by God Himself. And so we need to make sure we don't make a mistake here. This is not telling us that God um, cannot use people that are educated 
or that he can't use people that are influential. Um, of course he can, and he often does. At the beginning of this passage in verse 26, he says, not many of you were wise or influential or educated. Some of them were. Um, the point here is that God doesn't want us to depend upon ourselves to accomplish His work. And I'm going to talk about that just a little bit more. Now think about this. I referred to this before uh, in previous messages. The man Gideon uh, was called by God to do battle with their enemies, the Midianites. And we find this in the book of Judges, chapter 6 in the Old Testament. And what does God do? He takes this army of 30,000 and He whittles it down to 300 one percent of the original size. And he says, now Gideon, you're ready to go and do battle. And, it, and then with David, when he's facing Goliath, he tries to wear Saul, King Saul's armor so that he can face this, this uh, Philistine warrior Goliath. And he says, no, this doesn't work for me. And he goes with just a sling, like a slingshot and a stone, and he slays Goliath with something that looked inadequate. And it's because God is trying to teach us that it's not about us. It's about Him. It's not about our strength or our wisdom. It's about God's strength and power and wisdom. And so again, God is able to do a, a lot with a little. Um, I, I've got a friend uh, who uh, in his backyard, we were out there just the other, the other week uh, with them, and uh, we did a, had a little bit of food and some beverages and stuff like that, and he had this pot belly kind of stove sitting there uh, on his patio, and I was impressed with it, and I said, where did you get that? And uh, he said to me, so I, well, I, I didn't buy it anywhere, I made it. And I said, well, how did you make that? And he said, well, I made it out of some scrap metal, and an old propane tank. And there's a picture of it right here. Actually, not the one that my neighbor made, but one that looks a lot like it. And so here's a man who took something that looked like it was throwaway, that was scraps, and he made something with it. And that's exactly what God loves to do. The Apostle Paul, uh, he was struggling with what he called a thorn in the flesh. Uh, he had some kind of a disability. Something was going on in his life that he felt was going to diminish his influence uh, and his ministry. And God just ended up saying, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. The Apostle Paul, in this uh, letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians, in your New Testament, uh, it's all about that. What he's trying to tell these Corinthian Christians, he said, when I came to you and I preached to you, he said, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Again, it's so that no one would boast before God, that we would know that at the end of the day when something good happened, we could say, well, that was because God did it not a human being. And so, one thing we don't want to 
interpret from this passage that I read earlier, 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 26, is we don't want to think that God never chooses people from the elite classes. He often does. Uh, The Apostle Paul himself is a prime example. Uh, He was a highly educated, very, very intelligent man, um, and he was used by God in a remarkable way. Um, And So it doesn't mean that if you're talented or if you're creative, if you're athletic, if you're intelligent, if you're highly educated, that God doesn't want to use you. Of course He does. But here's what we have to know. If you are that kind of a person and you excel at everything, for you to be used by God, you have to humble yourself before God and realize that you come before Him with your hands empty and that you need His anointing. You need the power of His Holy Spirit to come upon you in order to accomplish His work. Even Jesus Himself said, of Himself, He said, the Son can do nothing by Himself on His own initiative. I can only do what I see my Father doing. Um, And He said, the words that I speak are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Um, the Bible says, John chapter 15, the words of Jesus. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. All of us need to recognize that whatever we think we have to offer, we need to bring it before God and humble ourselves before Him and realize that apart from His anointing and His power, um, we can't do a thing. And so God won't exclude you if you're a person of great talent. Uh, but whatever you think you bring to God, whatever you think you bring uh, to serve Him with your education and all of your talent and creativity, that needs to fall to the ground and die. And that, that includes your education. And just to come before God in complete humility, to be stripped down to your essence and to bow before Him, uh, basically, naked and with nothing in your hands that you can offer him. The church in Laodicea that we read about at the end of Revelation chapter 3, this is what the Lord Jesus says to this church that was very proud of itself. He says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, All of us, if we're to be used by God, need to realize that at the end of the day, we are inadequate in ourselves. But with God, all things are possible. A lot of the people that God has used in a great way throughout history, uh, people like Augustine, people like uh, Martin Luther, uh, the the reformer, uh, people like John Wesley, These people were people of great intellect and education. Uh, They were powerful orators, and yet none of them put their confidence in the flesh, in themselves. Even though they could reasonably have trusted in themselves and in their ingenuity, they chose not to. So here's the kind of attitude that we need to have when we come before God. We need to be able to pray and say, Lord, all that I have, all of my talent, all of my resources, my creativity, my ingenuity, my education, my credentials, Father, I 
lay it down before you. I surrender it to you because I know that all of that is nothing before you unless I have your anointing and unless I have your approval. And that's the attitude that we need to have. And that's the attitude that Jesus himself had when, uh, when he came to earth. The Bible tells us, um, and this is a great passage, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. It says, Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He was in very nature God. He was in heaven with God. But he did not consider equality with God something to use for his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant, and he was made in human likeness, and he was found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself to the point of becoming crucified on the cross. Jesus came from heaven to earth to show us that in himself he did not have what he needed to serve the Father in his own initiative. Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit in his life just as you and I did. Uh, and so he came to show us the way. I love the one line in the hymn, Rock of Ages. It says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And so God is not impressed with who we are in the flesh, in ourselves. He's not impressed with our own strength and wisdom. All of that needs to die in order for us to be used by God. And so I've just been reading to you from the end of this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Well, if you read the rest of that chapter, all of chapter 1, you'll realize that the thrust of this passage is the cross where Jesus died. And the Apostle Paul says the cross is foolishness. Everything it represents is foolishness to people. But for us, it is the power of God. I mean, think about this. What could be weaker and more despised and more powerful than a forsaken Jewish rabbi hanging on a criminal's cross? What could be more foolish than to say that this rabbi was in fact the Son of God and that he rose from the dead? The cross shows us that what the world thinks is foolish and what the world thinks is weak and despised, that that is the power of God. One of the new atheists, um, and who's quite famous actually and known all around the world, is a, a man called Sam Harris. I've, I've seen some interviews uh, with Sam Harris and some debates with this man. Um, and he's made some interesting statements, but one statement he said was, you know, if God was real, don't you think he would have written a better book than this? And he pokes fun at the Bible because he thinks maybe God could have done a better job. And what he forgets is that the Bible was written by many, many different authors over 15, 1600 years, and God chose that which is foolish and weak and the things that are not, the things that were simple and unadorned, uh, the things 
and the people that were of little account on purpose to show us that we don't worship this book, but we worship the person to whom the book points to, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And so Michelangelo, the great sculptor in Florence, Italy, a few centuries ago, he carved a a, a wonderful sculpture of David. And the sculpture was to depict David standing in all of his glory um, right before that moment when he was going to slay the Philistine warrior Goliath. And this famous sculpture of David is found in the Academia Gallery in Florence, Italy. And I've seen it myself. I was there in person a few years back with my wife, Colleen. Um, This towering sculpture, uh, what a lot of people don't know about it, and it's considered just a a work of genius. Um, It's acclaimed for its depiction of male physical perfection. And yet, what a lot of people don't know is that it was carved from marble of poor quality. Uh, And it was filled, this marble was filled with microscopic holes and a lot of sculptors turned away from it. But Michelangelo made something beautiful out of this piece of marble that was rejected by so many other sculptors. And so I want to say to you today, if you feel like you're of little account, would you acknowledge that the Lord has already given you everything you need and He will supply the rest? Would you offer yourself without reservation to God and say, God, whatever you want to do with this life, I will let you use me? Or if you're a person who feels competent, would you acknowledge that you cannot do God's will in your own strength and wisdom? Would you be willing to admit that apart from Christ and from His Spirit, you can do nothing? Would you come before God in brokenness and humility and offer yourself to Him on His terms and not on your terms? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Michelangelo, when he was chipping away at that flawed piece of marble, history tells us that Michelangelo's vision was to liberate the forms that were imprisoned in the marble. He saw the image of David that you can see in the Academia Gallery in Florence. He saw that image inside imprisoned inside that marvel. And he lovingly chiseled it away until he produced this magnificent work of art. And that's exactly what God wants to do in your life. And so, if you want to see power, and if you want to see wisdom at work, then you look for it in Christ. And you look for it in those who are in Christ. That's what the rest of this passage says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's all because of those two words. But God, you may have been considered foolish and weak 
and of little account. Not influential. But God has chosen people just like you. God loves to use the underdog. And he will use you if you will let him. Will you? Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to uh, meet again in this church at home service. And I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you have given us all throughout Scripture that this is not about us. That when something is achieved in your church, in your kingdom, it isn't because of us and our strength and our wisdom, our creativity, or our ingenuity. It's all because of you. And so as we're bowed in prayer right now, if you feel like a person of little account, if you feel like an underdog, like I've often felt, if you feel inadequate, that's a good place to be. Would you right now acknowledge that the Lord has already given you everything you need to serve Him? Would you say, Lord, in myself, I feel often that I'm nothing and I have nothing to offer, but I offer what I do have to you. May you use me. May you do a lot with a little. And would you offer yourself to Him as a living sacrifice right now? Lord, I offer myself to you. Use me, Lord. And if you're a person who feels competent in yourself, and maybe you've got all the education and the talent and the creativity, would you confess before God that on your own, apart from His anointing, apart from His power, that you are helpless to accomplish His purposes? Would you come before Him broken and say, Lord, I am just poor and blind and naked apart from, apart from you. But I offer myself to you, Lord, not on my terms, but on yours. Use me, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you choose to use the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.